Today on Pop Talk. We are the primary source of donated food for hunger relief charities and feeding programs across 13 counties. So we support Tarrant County and we also support 12 additional counties that surround Tarrant County. Pop Talk is a fact and science-based podcast dealing with important health topics. Our focus is to educate, entertain, and inform you on a variety of health issues. And now your hosts, Dr. Shane Fernando, Dr. Amy Raines Melenkoff, Prachi Thopper, and Sukanya Roy. Welcome to Pop Talk. Today we'll be discussing a timely topic, food security and access. So many things have changed in the era of the pandemic, so learning as much as we can about this topic, including where people can go, is very important. I'm your host, Dr. Shane Fernando, joined by my team of co-hosts, student hosts Prachi Thopper and Sukanya Roy. Hi, I'm Sukanya. I'm a third-year medical student. Hi, I'm Prachi. I'm also a third-year medical student here at TCOM at UNC and UNTHSC. Until further notice, due to the pandemic, we will continue to record our episodes remotely for the safety of our guests and our hosts. We are joined today by a very special guest who serves as the President and Chief Executive Officer of the Tarrant Area Food Bank, Ms. Julie Butner. In addition to her role as CEO, Ms. Butner is a registered licensed dietitian and has held leadership roles in multiple multinational corporations in the healthcare industry focused on food and nutrition, such as Aramark and the Compass Group. Ms. Butner, welcome to Pop Talk. We are glad to have you with us. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. So, Ms. Butner, can you tell us a little bit more about the Tarrant Area Food Bank? Yes, uh, Tarrant Area Food Bank is a not-for-profit organization that was started in 1982 by a couple of members. We are the primary source of donated food for hunger relief charities and feeding programs across 13 counties. So we support Tarrant County and we also support 12 additional counties that surround Tarrant County. It's important to also distinguish between Tarrant Area Food Bank and some of the pantry partner agencies that work with Tarrant Area Food Bank. So Tarrant Area Food Bank is a 70,000 square foot distribution center where uh, every month uh, we are receiving four or five million pounds of food. And that food comes to us from grocery stores, manufacturers, distribution centers, and state governments in bulk. And it comes in such large quantities that the Terranary Food Bank has to break down smaller quantities, which are then sent out to our partner agencies. So originally uh, relied on volunteers to support us in that endeavor. So if you think about just a massive warehouse with lots of pallets of food, and then reassembling uh, that food into smaller quantities, and then putting it on our trucks and the partner agencies to come pick it up um, so that they can take it to their pantries, which are located in the community, throughout the community. We have 350 pantry agencies all across the 13 counties. And they are truly a blessing for Terranaria Area Food Bank. Without the support of these pantries, the food could not be readily accessible 
to those who are food insecure. So these pantries are located in neighborhoods and in communities, and it can be anything from a church, a local church. Uh, it could be another not-for-profit like the Boys and Girls Club uh, or United Way, um, you know, just a variety of different types of pantries that help us reach the community that needs our support. Wow, thank you. That was, that's quite an endeavor for, um, for you. It, how much food gets distributed in every month? Uh, we're doing about um, 5 million pounds of food a month. So just as much food is coming in is quickly turned around and sent right back out. So we're not, our warehouse is not intended to store food for real extreme periods of time. And it's important to us that we have proper food safety compliant storage areas to keep the food fresh. But just as soon as we get it in, uh, we turn it around. The pantries have the ability to go online to our website and pull up a, a grocery list and they order groceries based on our inventory. So we keep an inventory of what's coming in and they can go uh, online and then pull up this, this grocery list and fill it out with what they need. And some of these pantries, as I said, we deliver to them and some of them come and pick up. Sometimes it's every day, depending on the size of the pantry and how many community members they feed. Sometimes it's once a week. So all of that is very individualized based on the needs of the community that the pantry is serving. And just out of curiosity, what kind of foods are available? Every kind of food that you see in your own uh, grocery store is available. So we have milk and uh, yogurt and cheese, you know, all kinds of dairy products. We have protein, pork, hamburger, chicken, turkey, um, fish. Uh, we have fresh fruits and vegetables right now are at an all-time high for us because you may have heard recently uh, on the news that the federal government uh, has intervened in support of the farmers who at this time during crisis, COVID crisis, are not able to export their goods. And for that reason, they have surplus goods. So USDA has stepped in and rerouted, purchased the food from the farmers to protect the farmers and rerouted those goods to the 200 approved food banks across the United States Tarrant area being one of those. That's incredible. That's a, I mean, a really good idea actually to, to redirect resources that what might otherwise just get wasted or start rotting. And so for our listeners who may not know, can you explain the concept of food security and what may be essential threats to food insecurity? Food security is uh, knowing that you do not have to worry about your food running out and knowing that you have enough money to buy the food that you need. And some threats to that would be, you know, anything that puts you in crisis and does not allow you access to the food that you need. So that could be losing your job, um, getting a divorce, losing your home, not having transportation. Those types of scenarios that put you at crisis uh, where you have to worry about where you're gonna get your next meal. Thank you for giving us a general overview about food security. 
I know as medical students on our rotations, there are many times when we've seen doctors who have stressed the importance of healthy eating without really explaining what that means. What does healthy, meaning, healthy eating mean to you? And how can we better communicate that to our patients? Well, I always like to refer to the, the food pyramid or the my plate diagram that the government publishes. Healthy to me means balance and making sure that you're getting food from all of the food groups. So fruits, vegetables, uh, dairy, protein, grain, and fat to make sure that you have a balanced uh, diet with plenty of vitamins, minerals, and nutrients. Uh, something that we were always curious about is what are some important questions we can ask patients to understand and truly evaluate if patients actually have the means to eat healthy? So that's a great question. And there's actually been a lot of research done on what are the two important questions or the few important questions. And um, the scientific community as well as um, government bodies that uh, support um, you know, addressing the, the food insecure issue have come up with these two questions. And I will repeat them to you because they're very important. The first one is, within the past 12 months, have you worried whether your food would run out before you got money to buy more? And the second question is, within the past 12 months, the food that you bought just didn't last and didn't have enough money to get more. And the way the questions are recommended to be asked is on a sliding scale rather than yes or no. Hmm. Um, and those are the two item, you know, hunger questions that they're, they're really recommending for healthcare providers to include as part of the screening assessment in healthcare settings. That's actually a really good idea. So do you feel like a lot of clinics are starting to implement this kind of food security screening to determine if patients are actually food secure? No, I don't. And it, I, I, I don't know that even the proper education around the importance of these screening questions has been conveyed. That's a good point. I mean, um, is there something that we could do to encourage our providers and uh, potentially other providers in the North Texas area to just really uh, understand the importance of proper nutrition and food security? I think it's important to include um, food insecurity in the curriculum of medical school. And I know there are a lot of you know, we are advancing and, and these, the connection between being food insecure and repeatable healthcare disease states, diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, are, are, are tightly, tightly connected. So when you look at healthcare expenses today, um, what, what, what uh, healthcare uh, organizations are grappling with is the biggest challenge are these what I would call um, frequent flyers, and that sounds kind of crass, and I don't mean it too, but people who come to the emergency room frequently, all the time, all the time, all the time, because 
um, their disease state just isn't being addressed properly. And in fact, with food insecurity, frequently you'll see the, the, the repeat uh, visitors coming because it is a place, the emergency room is a place where they can get food. And so often they come to the emergency room for that reason alone. Wow, that's not something that I think many people really even consider. So one major concern often voiced about eating healthy is the higher cost associated with it, which in turn leads to higher rates of obesity. We have high rates of diabetes that continues to climb in, in America. Um, what do you think that eating healthy is often cited as an expensive lifestyle? Is there anything that can be done to um, counteract the high cost? Or is there something that maybe uh, the patients and the lay public don't really understand about eating healthy and in terms of cost? Yeah, I think in some part, that's a misnomer. You know, of course, when you go into a grocery setting or a retail setting, they're marketing uh, the public to the more expensive items. So they're directing you by using those words, healthy, um, you know, lifestyle, eating well, uh, some of those marketing terms to direct you to the more expensive items. When in fact, as I mentioned earlier, a balanced diet is a healthy diet. And so the truth is there are many foods that are healthy that are not necessarily more expensive. So you think about, um, Beans and rice, very balanced protein combination that is not very expensive and yet very healthy. Um, so there are many, many foods that are healthy that are not expensive. And so being able to recognize the difference between the two, it's another example of um, individuals needing to better understand the how and not just the what. So when you tell a patient, you need to eat healthy. Well, what does that mean? Um, and how do I accomplish it? You know, uh, so ha having available more education, a deeper education, uh, and we try to do that here at Tarn Area Food Bank. So we provide something called the Cooking Matters class. It's a series of cooking classes. And so we're taking the food that our community member receives from their pantry and demonstrating to them how, how they can prepare those food items. If it's um, Swiss chard or if it's tomatoes that you're growing in your own garden, um, what are different recipes that you can use um, to enhance you know, the flavor or to enhance um, the consumption of those food items that are healthier. Another thing that we're doing is we have uh, community gardens in the community and we have a horticulturalist who is on staff here that works at those gardens with volunteers um, to show people how to grow their own food. So if they truly feel like it's, it's really uh, cost prohibitive, um, how, do you, how do you grow a few things on your own, whether that's in a potted plant uh, or in your backyard so that you can provide for yourself. Well, those are great ideas. Um, and it's kind of cool to think about growing your own food. I think um, people tend to turn away from it sometimes because they're afraid of, uh, they think it might be too difficult, but uh, surprisingly straightforward. 
Yeah, I love our approach to it. Um, we work with Archie's, which is a local landscaping um, company, and they provide us with free seeds. Oh, really? So we have free seedlings that we can give to anybody who wants to come and pick them up. And then we have classes and demonstrations that we do at our um, community gardens. We also do cooking classes at the garden showing, you know, right after you pull something out of the ground, how to clean it and how to prepare it. Literally garden to table, huh? Yes, really garden to table. That's a wonderful initiative. I, I think it, you do see a lot of hesitancy when it comes to eating well. Because um, a lot of people think food that's healthy may not be tasty or delicious and or accessible. And um, it's nice to see that uh, your group is doing something about that. Yes. We have a, a, a great resource uh, on staff to help us with that. So uh, you, you've probably heard that a couple of countries and, you know, in some states and some cities have established junk food taxes um, throughout, uh, particular, maybe on sugar-sweetened beverages or um, large-sized um, uh, fast food. Do you think those are good measures or are we uh, impeding anything? I mean, I, I really think a, a better approach, particularly in our country, just knowing our culture, mm -hmm. that um, education is a better way to address the problem and um, helping people become more informed about what is healthy and what isn't and why it's important for them to avoid the unhealthy uh, products. I think there, there's a great need for education and not just uh, informative, but also practical. So how do I put it into use? As I was mentioning earlier, you know, how, how do I read a label of a product to identify what, what ingredients are harmful and therefore stay away from them? And uh, how do I better understand the ramifications of not following a healthful diet? Um, and, and as I mentioned before, you know, how do I, how do I prepare healthy foods for myself so I don't have to be so reliant on processed food that is less healthy? This, this is a bit of a side question, but do you think that um, because of the pandemic, people have been reliant on cooking at home a lot more than they have in the past? Um, do you think that's we're going to see more of that in the future, or is it more of a well? I'm I'm glad I'm no longer cooking for myself. I can go out and eat. Uh, you know, I, I I know for myself personally, I've been doing a lot more cooking at home um, than I did pre-COVID. There's a component of it that I think is super important for our country and our culture is the ease of which um, the products are to prepare. You know, most, most families are dual income and um, both parents are working and then the idea of coming home and having to prepare on top of it, um, you know, it could be uh, too much time, too much time, especially if you have kids on top of that and you're, you're trying to teach them at home. That's a lot to take on. So I think the ease of preparing foods at home matter. And I think that's why we moved, you know, that's the whole reason why in the 1950s, we started moving toward processed and prepared foods because it, it, became, it became a situation where women were starting to work more frequently and for the ease of preparing meals at home, these processed foods came out. And that was all in the 1950s and 1960s. And, um, I think we became kind of dependent on them mm. and they're certainly sure. easier and cheaper to produce 
um, and the margins are higher because that's where the, the marketing dollars are going to, to lead us to those more expensive items. So these grocers and the manufacturers get greater, greater return. Right. I mean, why make uh, your own uh, um, bolognese sauce where you can just get into a can, you know, from a bottle, right? Right. You're listening to Pop Talk, and we are discussing food security and nutrition with Ms. Butner of the Tarrant Area Food Bank. So we were talking a little bit about healthy eating and how to make patients understand what the concept of healthy eating is. So one idea that we really heard on rotations that a few hospitals and clinics were doing were food prescriptions. And from what I understood, it was the idea to provide low-income families easier access to fresh produce for well-balanced diets. And for example, partnering with locally partnered farmers markets or um, supermarkets, things like that. So have you seen these types of programs really working? And what are some types of barriers that are preventing programs like these from being adopted in a more wide basis in the healthcare system? Well, you said a lot there, and a lot, a lot of those programs are very impactful, and uh, the, the 200 uh, food banks across the country are employing some of these programs in their communities, and Tarrant Area Food Bank is attempting to do the same thing. So let me start with the pantry. Uh, we are actively seeking um, partnership with John Peter Smith and te uh, Texas Health Resources to build... Um, healthcare pantries in their clinics and also in their emergency rooms. Uh, and what that looks like is a pantry inside of a healthcare facility that Terranaria Food Bank sources. Um, so we bring the food just like we do with our other pantries. The pantry would order and we would bring the food to the clinic or healthcare location. And then in conjunction with asking some of the food insecurity screening questions, if somebody falls out uh, with, with the way that they have responded to the questions that they are indeed food insecure, this pantry uh, from Terranary Food Bank would be available for them to get them through um, the next several days uh, when, they, when they go home. So whether they're coming through the ER or they're at the clinic visiting a doctor or um, they're uh, admitted as a patient and they're being discharged, asking those questions and identifying who's food insecure and sending them home um, goes a long way, not only in helping them from a nutritional standpoint and uh, their food uh, security uh, position, but it also, you know how important nutrition is to healing. And you, know, you, you need to have nourishment in order to heal your body if you've had a, a physical episode, uh, whatever that disease or, or sickness has been. And so it's something that we are really trying to launch a couple of locations. We are trying to collect some um, data that demonstrates um, uh, the impact and uh, what we have been able to collect now, one, one location is the Care More Clinic, um, has been, um, has, had, has had excellent um, results. The few that we've been able to set up are, have been impactful and we would like to expand it. We were in the process of those conversations just pre-COVID and then COVID hit and we had to suspend those conversations, but uh, we are including healthcare pantries in our strategic plan for fiscal year 2021, which begins in October, with the hope to expand 
and, and grow that concept. And then we are also, we do have a farmer's market. We partner with Blue Zones um, and oh, yes. uh, the WIC clinics and some local farmers. We have five farmers that we have secured through the Cowtown Farmer's Market and are planning um, partner farmer's markets to begin June 2nd. We have a whole host of standards and guidelines around social distancing and sanitation procedures to ensure that um, we are mindful not to create environments that would spread virus. Um, but this is a wonderful way to partner with farmers and to partner with healthcare to provide uh, wholesome food to the community. I think it's wonderful that you guys are partnering with the farmers because I know as we've moved more towards commercial foods in like the past decade or so that that's been a real weakness and kind of taking over their jobs. And so I think that's really wonderful to hear. Yeah, we, we do too. Um, the farmers uh, really do appreciate it. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit complicated. Um, we are heavily regulated by the government as a food bank. Um, and so there are some um, formats that are different for farmers that they're not used to. Um, but we, we've worked really hard with these five that are coming on this summer. And again, this is another example of a program where it's, it's really a win-win. It, it's good for uh, those who are food insecure. It is good for the farmer. And it is good for a local healthcare community uh, that we're providing this wholesome solution uh, to, to respond to those who need food. Uh, so one thing is that when we've been going to the grocery store lately that we've been noticing plenty of empty aisles. Does this indicate that we have a food shortage currently? No, I, I, not in my opinion. Um, I believe what's happening is um, there's some peaks and valleys that are happening within the supply chain adjusting to consumer behavior. So um, you may recall in, in the news at the beginning of the COVID crisis, there were a lot of empty shelves and a lot of people who were buying in excess, not knowing what future state might look like. So people who were over consuming and taking it and storing it in their homes, which created this empty shelf syndrome. And we too at the food bank saw a decrease in the number of donations coming from stores. And the stores were certainly hit with um, higher consumption, I think out of fear, uh, not knowing what the COVID future might bring. But you've seen that kind of ebb, you know, uh, settle down a little bit, normalized, um, and certainly the, the shelves don't look as empty, but it's, it's a matter of supply and demand. And so as demand went up, supply chain, the manufacturers and distributors were trying to keep up with this unbelievable increase in volume, and in some cases couldn't get product to the stores fast enough to replenish. That didn't necessarily mean that the farmers or the manufacturers uh, were out of um, food. It certainly did not. It just meant that the logistics behind addressing the increased volume, um, you know, it had some snags. I feel like that's actually really good to know because hopefully that will calm everybody down and not really force everybody to go out into the grocery stores and keep stocking up because we know that there's not really a shortage out there. 
Right. I, I do. I do think you know. Similar to that, I do think um, we are going to see some increased pricing in the protein category because uh, of the COVID incidences uh, in the manufacturing facilities, the chicken plants, the the uh, meat the meat packing plants where they've mm -hmm. had mass outbreaks of the COVID virus. And so as a result of that, I think um, those uh, categories will be hit and we will likely see an increase in, in cost because they're going to need to adjust their manufacturing practices, which could have an impact on efficiency, which would drive the, the, the price up. That makes a lot of sense. I have noticed that when I did end up going to the grocery store, they put limitations on how many packets of meat you could buy. Apart from the cost that's increasing, you see limitations also lasting for a while? Aside from the cost, have I seen limitations in? Like how many packets of meat you can buy at once? Yeah, I mean, especially at the beginning, I'm seeing that less so now, but at the beginning of the COVID crisis, I think, the retailers knew that there were some snags in the logistics behind the supply chain. So in order to keep uh, consumers from hoarding or from over procuring, they put the limitations in place to try to help normalize the situation. That makes sense. What are some current initiatives that Tarrant County, Tarrant Area Food Bank are taking to aid with food access and security? Well, we've done quite a bit. As I said, you know, the, the, the need has gone up by about 50 or 60%. And so we've really had to pivot and change our distribution model to accommodate that increased need. So uh, you may have seen on TV, we have participated in what we call mobile drive-through distributions where uh, families can um, come to a particular area, parking lot, and they drive through um, their, the trunk of their car is popped open and we insert a 25 pound box of emergency supplies. And the 25 pounds of food should last a four member family about three or four days. And we've moved to that mobile distribution method because of the social distancing. Um, whereas before we would have a pantry, some of them were um, select pantries, you know, just like a grocery store where those in need could come, walk into a brick and mortar facility and they go up the aisle and they select what products they need or what products they eat. Um, but because of social distancing, um, we have had to eliminate uh, that type of environment and pivot to this new model, which we call a, a mobile drive, drive through where cars drive through um, and we, uh, supply an emergency box of food uh, in their trunk. So neither party is um, within six feet of one another and there's no means to cross contaminate. That's a brilliant that initiative. Like, yeah, that sounds amazing. We've done that for um, ISDs as well. You know, our um, after school meal program, uh, we could not do eating setting. And so we've um, initiated the same type of drive-through model with many of the local ISDs. We've also been working in you know, some of the programs I mentioned earlier, like the community garden and like the Cooking Matters demonstration classes. We're, we're doing, you are here today, you know, we're doing uh, Zoom or um, um, 
televised you know, videos uh, for those programs to reach our clients. Has the food bank seen any major challenges during this time of increased food demand? Yeah, where to start with that? I think we've seen all kinds of challenges. You know, we've had to cancel our major fundraisers. So Empty Bowls was canceled, and, and that's one of our major funding sources. We've had to cancel our chef series. Uh, so many of the fundraising activities. Uh, we, we also had to um, put the public at bay uh, and not accept uh, volunteer support in our volunteer center. So we normally, you know, rely on some 20 or 30,000 people um, who come to our um, volunteer center every month to help us repackage the food. And we can't do that. Who's coming in and we don't know what they've been exposed to. And it was certainly very important to me as the leader of the organization that in my group uh, get sick with COVID. You can imagine if we had just one incident, people in the organization exposed, and what impact that could potentially have on the services that we are providing. And we're, we're considered um, essential workers uh, as the governor announced uh, in his proclamation and as the city has in their proclamation. And so our services are absolutely needed. And if something were to happen to one of my staff members, not only would it be personally devastating, but it would be devastating for the community. So we could not accept volunteers. That was a big shift. Uh, we are fortunate that we have 90 Air National Guardsmen and women who are uh, supporting our um, distribution efforts. They're packing emergency boxes and they're also supporting the drive-through mobile model. Oh, that's good. I'm, gl- I'm glad that um, you have some support and some help from that. Yes. Thank you very much for spending time with us today and helping us learn more about food security, access, and how the Tarrant Area Food Bank works. Do you have any closing remarks, perhaps uh, where someone can go to find out more information, where they can go for these drive-throughs, um, information such like that, that we can help um, uh, provide our listeners? Yes, um, it, it, you can access our services and also contribute to supporting our services through our website, and that is www. T-A-F-B, Tarrant Area Food Bank, .org. In the top left-hand corner, there is a donate button. In the top center, there is a prompt, uh, find food. If you need food, you simply enter your zip code and all of the pantries in your community will populate and um, should be in close wherever it is you might live. Um, So yes, please look at our website and I will close by saying thank you very much, very generous community that has really come uh, to our aid to support uh, those in our community who are food insecure. I appreciate uh, you having me on the show, Shane. I've enjoyed it. Oh, great. I'm, I'm glad that you were able to participate with us. We were really excited because we know, I mean, I've heard so much from so many people about how difficult it's been finding food and uh, I'm I'm hopeful that this episode and some of the website links that we, um, that we can provide will help them in some way. I yeah. really appreciate what you do. It's it's an immense resource for the community. Thank you so much. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into Pop Talk. The resources mentioned today will be made available on our various social media sites, so you can access them later.
On our next episode, we'll be discussing the ethics surrounding social isolation and reopening amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you once again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Shane. Pop Talk is a production of the Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine and is produced at the UNT Health Science Center in Fort Worth. To learn more, please visit our website at unthsc.edu.